Owing to the many reports which have been put in circulation by evil disposed and designing persons, in relation to the rise and progress of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, all of which have been designed by the authors thereof to mutilate against its character as a church and its progress in the world, I have been induced to write this history to disabuse the public mind and put all inquirers after truth in possessions of the facts, as they have been transpired in relation both to myself and the church, as far as I have such facts in my possession. In this history, I shall present the various events in relation to this church in truth and righteousness as they have been transpired, as they have at present exist, being now the year 1838 since the organization of the said church. I was at this time in my 15th year. During this time of great excitement of mind was called up to a serious reflection and great uneasiness. But though my feelings were deep and often poignant, still I kept myself aloof from all of these parties, though I attended their several meetings as often as occasion would permit. In process of time, my mind became somewhat partial to the Methodist sect, and I felt some desire to be united to them, but so great were the confusion and strife among the different denominations that it was impossible for a person young such as I and so unacquainted with men and things, to come to any certain conclusion who was right and who was wrong. In the midst of this war of words and tumult of opinions, I often said to myself, what is to be done? Who of all these parties are right, or, of, uh, or are they all wrong altogether? If any one of them be right, which is it, and how shall I know it? While I was laboring under the extreme difficulties caused by the contest of these parties of religionists, I was one day reading the Epistle of James, first chapter and fifth verse which reads, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, that giveth to all men liberally, and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. Never did any passage of Scripture come with more power to the heart of man than did uh, this to me at that time. It seemed to enter with great force into every feeling of, of my heart. I reflected on it again and again, knowing that if any person needed wisdom from God, I did. For how to act I did not know, and unless I could get more wisdom than I had then, I would never know, for the teachers of religion of the different sects understood the same passages of Scripture so differently so as to destroy all confidence in settling the question by an appeal of the Bible. At length, I came to the conclusion that I must either remain in darkness and confusion or else I must do as James direct, that is, ask of God. I at length came to the determination to ask of God, concluding that if he gave me wisdom to them that lacked wisdom and would give liberally and not abrade, I might venture. So in accordance with this, my determination to ask of God, I retired to the woods to make the attempt. It was on the morning of a beautiful clear day, early in the spring of 1820. It was the first time in my life that I had made such an attempt, for amidst all my anxieties, I had never as yet made the attempt to pray vocally. After I had retired to the place where I had previously designed to go, after looking around me and finding myself alone, um, if you're checked out, this is the point where you want to tune in. Um, and finding myself alone, I kneeled down and began to offer up the desires of my heart to God. I had scarcely done so when immediately I was seized upon by some power which entirely overcame me and had such an astonishing influence over me so as to bind my tongue so that I could not speak. Thick darkness gathered around me and it seemed to me for a, for a time as if uh, as if I were doomed to sudden destruction. But exerting all the powers to call upon God to deliver me out of the power of this enemy which had seized upon me, and at that very moment which I was ready to sink into despair and abandon myself to destruction, 
not to an imaginary ruin, but to the power of some actual being from the unseen world who had such marvelous power as I had never felt in, my, in any being. Just at this moment of great alarm, I saw a pillar of light exactly over my head, above the brightness of the sun, which descended gradually until it fell upon me. It no sooner appeared that I found myself delivered from the enemy which held me bound. When the light rested upon me, I saw two personages whose brightness and glory defy all description standing above me in the air. And one of them spake unto me, calling me by name and said, pointing to the other, this is my beloved son, hear him. Um, I inserted a, a, a quote or a, a note here for me to comment just very briefly. So you might be wondering, how is it that the father just pointed to the son? In Mormon um, theology, for, for lack of a better word, uh, both the father and the son have, are made of flesh and bone. So the father is not spirit. He actually has a, has a body. Okay. Um, my object in going to inquire of the Lord was to know which of all the sects was right so that I might know which to join. No sooner, therefore, did I get possession of myself so as to be able to speak that I asked the personages who stood above me in the light which of all the sects was right. For at this time I had never entered into my heart that all were wrong uh, and which I should join. I was answered that I must join none of them, for they were all wrong. And the personage, the personage who, had, who addressed me said that all their creeds were an abomination in his sight, that those professors were all corrupt, that they draw near to me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They teach for doctrines the commandments of men, having a form of godliness, but they deny the power thereof. He again forbade me to join any of them. And many other things did he say unto me, which I cannot write at this time. When I came to myself again, I found myself laying on my back looking up into heaven. When the light had departed, I had no strength. But soon recovering in some degree, I went home. And as I leaped upon the fireplace, mother inquired what the matter was. I replied, never mind, all is well. I'm well enough off. I then said to my mother, I have learned for myself that Presbyterianism is not true. It seems as though the adversary was aware at a very early period of my life that I was destined to prove a disturber and an annoyer of his kingdom, that is Satan's kingdom. Else, why should the powers of darkness combine against me? Why the opposition and persecution that rose against me almost in my infancy? Well, that's an, an excerpt from, does anybody know where that is? Uh, yeah, Joseph Prince. Uh, and, and does anybody know the particular book that was from? Uh, Pearl of Great Price. So that's an excerpt from Pearl of Great Price. I, I, um, I don't have a physical copy of the book. Typically, I read from a physical copy. I don't have it, so that's why I copied and pasted it from the internet. But that was from... Uh, the LDS website. I just uh, just read that verbatim. Uh, warm welcome to you all. This is the eighth and last uh, uh, week of Fall Formation Offering entitled Evangelism. Um, uh, good news is for sharing an introduction to evangelism. Um, since this is my last week, um, I just want to pause real quick and I just want to thank all of you guys for, uh, for sticking with me and uh, being here every week. Um, it's been a great learning experience for me and it's been an honor to be able to do this. So thank you uh, so much. Um, and I hope that this was more than just evangelism training. Um, at its core, what I wanted to do was present a class that obviously touched on evangelism, uh, but also centered on the gospel, the Trinity, uh, Christian spirituality, uh, devotion. And obviously, I, I think if we focus on these things, evangelism is just something that's going to come out of it uh, naturally. So um, anyway, I hope it's been encouraging to you. It's uh, certainly been encouraging to me. So thank you. 
Um, I usually do a quick survey over the previous week's class. Um, I'm not going to do that today. The last two, um, two classes that we did were two lectures on Islam. Um, if you missed them, um, let me just encourage you to go back and listen to them. They're online. It's a wealth of information um, on there. I'm, that's not me tooting my own horn. Uh, that's just, um, honestly, I mean, there's, there's tons of information on there that I think all of us should be um, uh, aware of, so, uh, or at least have some, some exposure to. So let me, again, encourage you to go back and do that. Um, today we're going to do a super fast survey over Mormonism, uh, or the Church of Latter-day Saints, and then uh, Jehovah's Witnesses. So these are two totally different groups, and uh, we don't have that long of a time, um, but, uh, but we're going to cover both of them quickly, and, uh, and then we'll wrap up uh, this class. Um, so but before we get into the lecture, let's go ahead and do our last uh, group prayer. So I'm going to uh, reduce it down to two minutes. Um, and uh, yeah, so let's go ahead and do that now. Um, minding social distancing, go ahead and rotate your chairs. Um, again, I've asked you guys from the beginning to pray for three people in your life. This is, uh, these are people that you want to share the gospel with or that you have been sharing the gospel with. So let's go ahead and do that. Two minutes. Let me pray for us all real quick. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much uh, for this day, and we thank you supremely for your eternal love that you have for us. And um, Lord, we thank you that uh, you are the God of truth, and uh, Father, we thank you that, uh, that there is such a thing as objective truth, and we could know you truly. And um, Lord, we, uh, we pray for Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons. Lord, we pray that you would save them. Lord, we pray that you would have mercy upon them. We pray that you would give us a heart of love and compassion for them. Lord, we pray for all the people that we've been praying for these last several weeks. Um, Lord, we, we confess to you that, um, Lord, we, we do feel inadequate. And, uh, and many times we have failed to, um, to, to open uh, our lips and to declare the gospel. Uh, but, Lord, we confess that, uh, that we are weak and timid and uh, sometimes afraid. So, Lord, we pray that you would um, give us the strength. Give us the boldness to share your word and to do it not of our own strength, but of the power of your Holy Spirit, because without you, we can do nothing. Uh, we pray that you'd be with us uh, during this last lecture. And again, we just we give you all the glory and we thank you for, for these times. Uh, we love you. We thank you. We pray these things in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. OK, well, uh, so you might be wondering why I wanted to include the, include these two groups, Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons uh, in a class of evangelism. The Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormonism, uh, or the Church of uh, Latter-day Saints, I might refer to them as, uh, as the LDS Church, just to, to abbreviate, um, are two totally separate belief systems. So why talk about them together? Uh, what do they have in common? And again, why talk about them in the, the context of an evangelism class? I'll get to some of these questions in just a little bit, but uh, what they do have in common is that they're both Christian cults. Um, and I don't mean this in a derogatory way. I'm just trying to classify them in the context of Orthodox Christianity. And before I talk about JWs, again, uh, Jehovah's Witnesses, um, and the LDS, uh, the Church of Latter-day Saints, uh, let me briefly discuss some common characteristics of cults that I think it would be helpful for us to consider. Um, and by the way, these acronyms and uh, the characteristics I'm about to share, they're not original to myself. Uh, they're original to, uh, uh, to one of my professors uh, from seminary. His name is uh, Dr. George Martin. Um, so cults typically originate from charismatic leaders. This is obviously something you would expect. Um, they claim to receive special revelation. Um, they're typically separatists from a mainline uh, group. Um, and oftentimes they claim to have a rediscovered history. 
Um, there's some debates over how to define what a cult is and, and who should be defined as a cult. Um, and we don't have a lot of time to discuss that. But in general, I, I want to present you guys with an acronym uh, that I think would be helpful for you to consider. So it's CULTS, C-U-L-T-S. <clears throat> so C, conflict with society. Um, you, again, we're going to go through this very briefly. Uh, you, unfamiliar, it's new uh, to a dominant worldview or religion. Um, it's got a leader, so L, C-U-L, uh, leader um, with, with Mormonism. You've got Joseph Smith, Brigham Young. We'll talk about these characters in just a minute. Um, or with Jehovah's Witnesses, uh, Charles Taze Russell. Uh, T, totalism. So it requires total devotion to this group. And uh, uh, when you're not fully commoted, uh, devoted to this group, um, they shun you away. And then S, uh, seeking of a new experience. So it's something different. So these are some shared characteristics of, of uh, cults. What was you? Sorry. Uh, yeah, unfamiliar, new, different, strange. Yeah. Um, and from a, a Christian standpoint, so now we're taking just com- like general characteristics, and now I want to briefly talk about some theological characteristics of cults. And what I want to uh, share with you is math. And uh, what do I mean by that? Uh, cults do math. Um, so cults subtract. So they subtract from what? From the deity of Christ. Um, so we believe in God um, as defined in Holy Scripture, the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Uh, he is the one and only God, and he does not share his throne with any other being. He alone is God. Um, and as we'll discuss shortly, Jehovah's Witnesses deny the deity of Christ, um, and Mormons do the same thing. Uh, they go so far as to claim that even you, too, can also become a god like Jesus Christ. So. Yeah, okay, yeah, fair enough, only the men. <laughs> All right, so cults subtract from the deity of Christ. All right, cults multiply the requirements for salvation. So they subtract and they also multiply. Uh, they multiply the requirements of salvation. Religious attendance, how many doors you knocked, uh, required missionary work, not celebrating holidays as in Jehovah's Witnesses, not drinking caffeine as in Mormons. Um, the list goes on and on. Uh, this goes contrary to what we learned from Scripture. Uh, that we are justified and made righteous through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So we are saved through Christ alone, by faith alone, and that's it, right? Um, Cults divide. So what do they divide from? They divide the loyalties of their followers from the outside world. So what's typical of cults is that they um, ostracize or shame members who question or show any kind of disloyalty to the leadership of the cult. And, uh, and as Christians, we follow no rules or laws uh, that are outside Holy Scripture. Um, to quote the Apostle Paul, we have been called to freedom. Praise God for that. And um, anyway, so that's just a quick, super quick background about cults in general. So now let's quickly dive into the history of Jehovah's Witnesses um, and Mormons, and we'll talk about their beliefs. Um, this might seem a little sporadic. Again, you guys should expect this from me. Before I um, uh, dive into that, I just want to point out a couple things here. So... Um, so this is the Book of Mormon. We'll talk about this in just a minute. Um, this is the New World Translation. So this is the Jehovah's Witness um, Bible, essentially. Um, I'll briefly talk about these. But I just wanted to bring them just so you guys can see them. This is a wonderful resource here, um, Kingdom of the Cults. Um, and um, anyway, it's an um, excellent, excellent resource. Um, out of the cults and into the church, um, if I read this apparently five years ago, uh, I put the date on here when I read it, um, and I don't remember it too well, but I remember I was really fascinated by it. If I'm remembering correctly, don't quote me on it. The author was a former cult member, 
And she's now a believer, and she's talking about how we as Christians can integrate um, the converts from Mormonism, Jehovah's Witnessism, to the church. Totally different world, and it requires a lot of thought and consideration. Um, and then this one, I, uh, uh, my professor several years ago recommended it, and um, it was one of those books where I just j- jotted it down. And it was like 50 bucks on Amazon, and I never read it. And um, anyways, it proved helpful uh, preparing for this. Uh, it's just a quick um, overview, I guess, and it just really summarizes things. So anyway, uh, if you're at all interested, feel free to come afterwards and take a snapshot of it to look into them later. Okay, um, so Mormonism started through Joseph Smith. <clears throat> we'll talk about Mormonism first, and then we'll talk about Jehovah's Witnesses, and at the end we'll talk about just in general uh, why we want to... Um, concentrate on these two groups. So Mormonism started through Joseph Smith. Um, So as we just read in the introductory reading, Joseph was 15 years old when he received his uh, special revelation from the angel Moroni. Um, And uh, and he came face to face with uh, God the Father and Jesus Christ. So first he came face to face with God the Father and Jesus Christ. We read about that. And then afterwards he he met the angel Moroni. And um, uh, Joseph was uh, not to join any church because they had all become corrupted. Again, we just read this uh, in, in the introductory uh, reading. The basic premise of Mormon history is that the Holy Bible um, is divine scripture uh, for the ancient Near East and the surrounding areas. That's kind of what God was doing on that side of the world. Um, but the Book of Mormon is <clears throat> another testament of Jesus Christ. So this is another testament. That should set off red flags for you right there, right? Um, It's the compilation of sacred writings that were originally lost and composed when Jesus Christ appeared to South American Israelites after his resurrection. So um, according to the Book of Mormon, uh, Mormon, uh, there was a group of Israelites in 600 B.C. to avoid the capture, um, the captivity of Babylon these Jews from Jerusalem went to South America. You guys following me? Yeah. They went to South America. And then 600 years or so afterwards, after Jesus Christ resurrected, after his resurrection, he appeared to these Israelites all the way in South America. And so the the Book of Mormon is a compilation of writings that happened here in the Americas. Did anybody know that before? Yeah. Okay. Good. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And then they, you know, went up until yeah, North America. Oh, it could have been. It could have been. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it may have. Yeah. May very well have been. I. I haven't heard that, but I. I yeah. I'm not. Um, I wouldn't be surprised. Um, we're told that Joseph. Uh, Joseph Smith uh, was chosen by God to rediscover the Book of Mormon. But the Book of Mormon was not a physical book, as in you know. It had actual pages. Um, The text was written on physical golden plates, um, which the angel Moroni directed him where to find. So the angel Moroni appeared to Joseph Smith and said, hey, go find these golden plates. And uh, the text was written in hieroglyphics, which Smith uh, called uh, Reformed Egyptian. So how did Joseph Smith translate this Reformed Egyptian into English? Um, So he was given two seer stones. And what he did was he put, um, um, I told uh, Colton I would, I would use his hat as an illustration if he was here, but he's not here. Um, so he, he would put, he would grab his hat. So this is, uh, what, 17th century in New York, New York State. 
Uh, 19th century, thank you. You guys, yeah, I'll trust you guys to do the math. Um, so anyway, he would put the golden plates inside of his hat. He would put the two stones inside of the hat, and then he would translate it like this. So somehow the seer stones allowed him to be able to translate um, the, this reformed hieroglyphics, uh, reformed Egyptian um, into, into English. So that's how we're told. That's what we're told. Um, so where are these golden plates now? Uh, Joseph Smith was directed to give them back to the angel Moroni. And uh, how do we know that this is true? Uh, well, because he got 11 men to testify that they too had seen the golden plates. So that's how we know. Um, this all occurred within Western New York. Um, after some persecution and trouble with the law, um, Joseph Smith led his followers uh, towards West. And Joseph Smith and his brother were killed in Illinois. Um, and then Brigham Young, one of the early converts, uh, he emerged as a new leader. And the Mormons uh, essentially traveled all the way even further west, um, down until what we now know as Salt Lake City in Utah, um, which, was, which was quite a stretch. I mean, um, that, um, that took a lot of, a lot of work uh, back then to, to travel the United States like that. Um, there was an enormous controversy over the first two leaders of the LDS Church. Um, during Joseph Smith's life, he practiced polygamy. Um, he had 49 different wives during his life. Um, apart from this obvious moral lapse, another glaring problem is that he, pro- he publicly denied that he was practicing polygamy, and he also further denied um, that it was um, authorized, said that, that he should be doing it. Um, so Brigham Young, um, he, he's the one who publicly continued polygamy, and he made it an official practice within the church. Um, after legal opposition from the state of Utah, the LDS officially ended polygamy in 1890. <clears throat> So what do we need to know about Mormonism today? Um, The Mormon church calls itself the Church of Latter-day Saints. So it's the Latter-day Saints because, if you recall, all other churches are corrupted. And they follow the the scriptures, which is the New New Testament of Jesus Christ. Mormons use the term meeting house for the places that they publicly meet on Sunday. So um, where we would go to church, they go to a meeting house on Sunday. Um, to, To an outsider, this might appear like a normal Protestant service. Um, the LDS's most holiest religious services, however, are done in temples. So these are, um, these are ginormous, beautiful, uh, white structures that are kept in pristine condition. Um, there's only 168 of them in the world. Um, and then only select Mormons are allowed into the temple. So it's not like, you know, any Mormon can go into the temple. You have to go through some rigorous interviews and be selected and chosen to be even to be even be able to enter into one of these temples and what's done inside the temples is also secretive Um, one thing that is known inside the temple is the baptizing of the dead so this explains the lds's fascination of church or of uh, um, uh, family ancestry Um, the basic premise is that a mormon can essentially retroactively baptize someone who is deceased and uh Maybe you might recall the controversy that the LDS church had, uh, that, that they had several years ago when it was found out that they were rebaptizing uh, Jews that were killed in the Holocaust. So they were doing family ancestry, finding out these people, and then rebaptizing them um, even though they were dead um, uh, within the temples. Do you know uh, that Ancestry.com is run by? Yes, Ancestry.com, yeah. I've heard that they will baptize and. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Mormons are well known for this strict requirement of a 10% tithe. Um, so not only uh, th- these funds not only fund the, uh, the library temples that we were just talking about, but also the missionary work. 
um, that every male is required to do for two years. Um, this is optional for ladies. Um, this work is seen as a passage into Mormonism where men show the commitment of their faith. Um, and obviously you guys have all seen the Mormon missionaries. Um, they typically have a uh, crew cut, clean shaven, uh, short sleeve, um, uh, dress shirt and a tie. And then they got a little plaque right here that says elder. Um, so they're referred to elders during their work. Um, so what do we absolutely have to know about Mormon teachings? Okay, so one, um, the Bible is not all of God's revelation. So like I mentioned already, the, the LDS church adds to scripture by claiming further divine revelation. So it's not just the Bible. They typically use the King James Version, by the way. It's not just the Bible. It's also the Book of Mormon. It's also uh, Doctrine and Covenants, and it's also the Pearl of Great Price. So they add three extra books apart from scripture. And uh, never, never mind Galatians chapter 1, verse 8. Uh, which I'll quote because I think it's worth quoting here. Uh, but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what you received, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. This is the Apostle Paul. All right. Uh, number two, some marriages are eternal. So one of the ways in which the early Mormon church authorized polygamy is by teaching that polygamous uh, marriages are eternal. So as the man uh, earns his reward or mansion in heaven, uh, the wife comes along and she remains with the husband forever. And of course, since the church no longer um, authorizes polygamy, um, eternal marriages now are considered those marriages that are, that are performed within the temple. So not all marriages are eternal. It's just the, the marriages that are done within the temple. Those marriages are eternal now. And um, of course, this goes flies in the face of Luke chapter 20, verse 34, where Jesus says, the sons of this age marry and are given in marriage, but those who are considered worthy to attain to that age and to the resurrection from the dead, neither marry nor are given in marriage. Okay, moving on. Uh, number three, you too can become like Jesus Christ. Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house are many mansions. I go to a to prepare a place for you that where I am, there you may be also. This is a passage that Mormons will cite. This is from John chapter 14 uh, to justify their doctrine of exaltation. That's what they call it. Um, so they don't just talk about uh, believers having resurrected bodies. Uh, more than that, there are different levels of heaven and different rewards, different mansions that are available. And note that there is some truth to this, right? Um, uh, they, they're, some of this can be gained from scripture, but they take it to the nth degree. Um, so they take one kernel of truth and then they really stretch it. Quoting from an official LDS publication, all of God's children can overcome separation from God through the atonement of Jesus Christ. I'm quoting, by the way, um, can overcome separation from God through the atonement of Jesus Christ and living the teachings of his gospel. The degree to which one is obedient in this life will result in the place or mansion in heaven which Jesus spake, end of quote. So if you're listening carefully, you'll notice some problems here. Um, first, overcoming separation from God is something that the person does. Um, it says God's children can overcome. So the emphasis is not what God has done to receive sinner, to, to redeem sinners to himself. It's what they can do to overcome their fallen state. Second, salvation is achieved through the atonement of Jesus Christ and... That person living out the livings of the living out the teachings of the gospel. Um, so, in other words, salvation is not through faith alone. It's uh, it's 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 dependent on your obedience. It's faith plus works. Um, third, um, the goal in heaven is your exaltation, not God Himself. 
Um, so it's the gaining of differing rewards in heaven. Um, and it's clear to me, um, and hopefully to you as well, that the object of worship with this mindset is not so much God, but it's receiving the reward itself. Um, and what's most damning about, um, from the standpoint of Christian orthodoxy here, is that the exaltation of which the Mormon church teaches um, is that people can become like Jesus Christ. So if you live an obedient uh, enough life, you can become like Jesus. You can become a God yourself. Um, quoting from Doctrines and Covenants, Covenants chapter uh, 132, verse 20, this is me quoting. Then they shall be gods. This is their Jesus speaking. Then they shall be gods because they have no end. Therefore, they shall be from everlasting to everlasting because they continue. Then they shall be above all because all things are subject unto them. Then they shall be gods because they have all power. And the angels are subject to them. Verily, verily, I say to you, except ye abide my law, ye cannot attain to this glory. End of quote. So like I said during my Islam lectures, this isn't me saying it. This is them saying it, right? Um, so in what, day, in what way does the LDS church uh, do math? Remember, I was talking about the math earlier. So uh, they subtract from the deity of Jesus Christ by denying the Trinity and claiming that you too can become a God. They add to scripture uh, by adding different books to Holy Scripture. Um, they multiply the requirements of salvation by demanding extra biblical laws, um, wearing special underwear, abstaining from caffeine, um, giving two years of your life to missionary work, etc., um, and requiring their members to achieve salvation through their good works. And then they divide uh, by shaming, excommunicating mem- any members who, who question or fail to fall in line. Um, there's so many accounts of these you can go online and um, I mean there's there's just a huge movement of people that used to be part of Mormonism and Jehovah's Witnesses and, and, and yeah anyway um, okay so let's talk about Jehovah's Witnesses and the Watchtower organization real quick um, Jehovah's Witnesses can be traced to 1879 and its founder Charles Taze Russell um, he created a magazine called the the Watchtower uh, publication uh, Russell predicted Armageddon several times and failed it was pretty embarrassing. He, you know, he would tell his followers, the world's going to end, the world's going to end on this day, uh, despite the fact that Jesus said that no one knows the day or the hour that Jesus Christ will come, right? That, that he himself will come. Uh, but anyway, um, he tried to predict the end of the world and failed several times. Uh, one of the years that he predict, predicted the end of the world was 1914. And since this happened to coincide with the beginning of World War I, um, he and his followers were able to kind of finagle their way out of that one, you know, by saying, well, we... You know, we, we missed the part about the world ending, but obviously there was this really significant thing happened. You know, this is when World War I started. Um, so what are some basic tenets of Jehovah's Witnessism, uh, Jehovah's Witness that we need to, uh, to know about? Okay, number one, uh, Jehovah's Witness claim that our scriptures are corrupt. Um, so that's why they want to publish their own Bible, uh, which they call the, the New World Translation. Um, and uh, pretty much what they do is they simply change um, some of the wordings that ascribe deity to Jesus Christ, and they just twist it to kind of fit their, their thinking. And a key example of this is John chapter 1, verse 1. Uh, if you know this verse, which I trust you do, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Um, all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Okay, the New World Translation says, In the beginning was the Word, and the word was with God, and the word was a God. See, so they inserted that A there. 
So then it becomes the word is God versus the word was a God. And that little letter makes a huge difference, right? You guys follow me? Okay. Um, so, um, uh, yeah. So even then, uh, d- despite that they have their own Bible, uh, Jehovah's Witnesses are discouraged from reading the Bible uh, by itself. So they have to read it in light of the publications from the Watchtower organization. And uh, the Watchtower organization is a secretive um, organization that's based out of New York City. Um, so that's where they, the, all these publications come out of. Um, all Jehovah's Witnesses are required to become experts um, at door-to-door um, proselytizing their faith. Um, so Anthony Morris, um, uh, a key leader of the Watchtower organization, recently said, and this is on, on video, so you can go out there and watch it. Um, he recently said that Jehovah's Witnesses that are not out there knocking on doors and trying to convert uh, people are blood guilty and that they will lose their salvation. So this is how important it is for them to go out there and, and knock on doors. Uh, moving on, uh, Christianity or Christendom, this is a, a bad word that they use. So, so to the Jehovah's Witness psyche, Christendom, that's, that's bad. Um, Christendom is a bad thing. Uh, the vast majority of church history has had it wrong. Um, Christianity is confused. It's corrupt. It's confusing. It's damned. And, uh, and again, to the Jehovah's Witness psyche, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a derogatory to be, to be labeled a Christian or, or, a, um, or, or to be part of Christendom, right? Uh, Christianity is so wrong that they can't even get the name of God right, for goodness sakes. It's Jehovah. Um, and by the way, the, the, the name Jehovah, it's, it's a modern mispronunciation of the name Yahweh. It's combining some of the letters from Yahweh and some of the letters from Adonai, kind of blending them together. And that's how they came up with the word uh, Jehovah. Um, that started in the 16th century. But what Jehovah's Witnesses argue is that that is the name of God and you have to call God Jehovah no matter what. Um, and, and I think it's fine to use Jehovah, by the way, but, you know, it's not right to, to say that, that that's all that he, he uh, wants to be called. That's, that's not in the Bible. Um, okay, moving on. Uh, Jesus died on a stake or a, a wooden beam. So um, this is a common argument that Jehovah's Witnesses will try to cast uh, Christianity into a dark light. Um, so the reality is that there's ample evidence that the Roman Empire executed people by means of a cross. And there's no evidence, uh, not that I found, that proves otherwise. So what they'll, what they'll say is that, you know, you Christians say that Jesus died on a cross. But really, he died on a stake. Okay? Um, and when I first became a Christian and I started talking to Jehovah's Witnesses, this really tripped me up. I was like, man, you know, what if that's true? At the end of the day, regardless, what difference does it make? You know, um, if, if Jesus' hands were like this or like this, I mean, the sacrifice was paid for. And, um, I mean, it's false. Obviously, he died on a cross. But at the end of the day, what difference does it make? So um, anyway, uh, moving on. Uh, Jesus is a created being. Um, so this is really an Aryan view. It's, it's denying uh, the deity of Christ by claiming that Jesus was created. Um, so they claim that Jesus is Michael the archangel, um, even, then, even though they have absolutely zero scriptural evidence to support that. So Jesus is a created being, and in fact, Jesus is Michael the archangel. Uh, moving on, the Trinity is a corrupt doctrine. It's pagan, it's satanic, it's corrupt. Um, there's only one God, and again, he goes by the name of Jehovah, and Jesus is not God. 
Um, there's no such thing as eternal hell for unbelievers, um, just annihilation. So when, when the uh, apocalypse occurs, um, all unbelievers will be annihilated. There's no uh, eternal destruction. And uh, there, there's only going to be 144,000 people uh, going to heaven. They get this from the book of Revelation. Um, and most of the people, most of these 144,000 have already been accounted for by the Watchtower organization. So there is a list. And most of the people, uh, most of those slots, of literally 144,000 names, they've already been allotted. Um, what's that? So why bother? Why bother? Yeah. Well, why bother? Because um, um, so, so Jehovah's Witnesses claim that um, only the, pretty much the super holy Jehovah's Witnesses go to heaven. And when Christ returns, um, it's, it's not what we would think, you know, heaven and earth becomes one, you know, the kingdom of God becomes one. It's, it's God creates, and there's heaven up here, and then God recreates this new world, and then um, Jehovah's Witnesses stay here in the world. And so that's why you'll see um, illustrations of Jehovah's, like on, you guys have seen on the illustrations of the Watchtower, you'll typically see, I, I find this kind of comical, um, you'll see a picture, a cartoon picture, You'll see like New York City or a huge, you know, city in the background that's like, you know, people are killing one another. Everything's in flames like, you know, the city just got bombed. And then there's like this exodus of Jehovah's Witnesses and they're all in suits and smiles. And somehow they, you know, they're, they're walking out of the city unscathed. Um, so so that's that's kind of what they think. Um, no Jehovah's Witness is allowed to serve in the military. Uh, they're not allowed to receive blood transfusions. Um, no holidays are to be observed, including birthdays. All holidays are from Christendom. They're evil contraptions. Um, and then uh, going on to the math um, allegory. So how, how do they do math? Well, um, they add to the scriptures by creating a new Bible and then adding to the, to the, uh, adding the, the Watchtower publication. So again, it's not, just, it's not just reading this Bible. It's also reading this Bible in... Um, in light of the Watchtower organization's publications. They subtract uh, from the deity of Christ by claiming that Jesus is a creature. Again, um, uh, Jesus is Michael, the archangel. And then they multiply the requirements of heaven by um, requiring them to proselytize door to door, Um, not celebrating any holidays, not receiving blood transfusions. There's a list and list of uh, things that they can't do. And then obviously um, they divide uh, by shaming those members that question or uh, refuse to fall into line. Okay, so that's just a quick overview of um, Jehovah's Witnesses and uh, in Mormonism. Uh, Mormonism. Um, so let me just finish up by uh, sharing something real quick and then uh, I'll open it up to any questions. So, so why are we discussing cults today? Uh, I'm going to give you, I think it was four, four reasons. Uh, yeah, four reasons. And, um, and again, this, what, what I mentioned earlier, some of this I borrowed from Dr. George Martin. Uh, because we're supposed to give a reason for the hope that is in us. So that's the first and obvious reason. Um, obviously, when we do meet um, these, uh, these groups of people, we have to give a, a reason for the hope that's in us, that we're commanded to do so. Uh, number two, because they need the gospel just as much as you do. Um, so God is in the business of redeeming sinners, even heretics, right? And uh, remember that, um, I've said this from the beginning, everything that we do, all of our evangelism has to be done out of compassion. And uh, most of these people were born into cults. Uh, most of the time they, they didn't convert. 
into these groups. Uh, they grew up in them. And um, let's, let's reach uh, out to these people uh, with the gospel out of compassion. Uh, third reason, because they use our vocabulary but not our dictionary. Um, so if you've been, been tracking with me, you'll notice that these groups take kernels of truth, but then they stretch them out. Um, so they use our words, but they mean totally different things by them. Um, so as you talk to these groups, and I hope you do, uh, remember to define your words often. And also remember that these are, these are gradual conversations. So uh, typically you, you shouldn't expect an instant conversion where somebody's going to you know, uh, come out of, out of this group easily, uh, one of these groups easily. And uh, even if they are delusioned uh, from their cult, uh, remember that it's, uh, they're entrenched into it. It's going to take them a lot for them to come out of it because they're scared of leaving their life and being shamed and, and shunned. Um, and then finally, um, and most pragmatically maybe, um, another reason why we should focus on this group is because they're going to come to you. So even if you don't want them to, to uh, if you don't want to go and talk to them, they're going to come to you. They're going to come and knock on your door. And... Um, I mean, who, who, who in this group, in this uh, room hasn't, you know, gotten a, a door knock from one of these groups? Um, again, they're going to seek you out. So one of the worst things that you can do is to hide from them. To them, this is evidence that you are afraid of the truth, of their truth. And um, I once met, um, I once met a, a Christian who, fascinating couple, um, they were previously... Uh, Jehovah's Witnesses, and then the Lord in his mercy saved them, and now they're Christians. And uh, obviously they have a wonderful ministry to Jehovah's Witnesses, but um, I, I heard them uh, share a story once how, um, you know, when they would go, you know, door-to-door knocking, uh, time and time again, I mean, it was just predictable. People would, you know, they would knock on the door, and the people would like, oh, shy, you know, and then they would, you know, get behind the furniture and try to try to pretend that, you know, uh, I, what are you laughing about? Because I've done that. <laughs> um, so, um, so yeah, they, they've, yeah, they, they shared how, you know, to them, when you do that, that's just proof that they're in the right. And uh, anyways, um, 99.99% of those people have never heard the true gospel. And let that truth sink in. Uh, remember how, um, uh, no, no matter how incompetent you may feel, you still have the words of eternal life in you. You can say something about God, man, Christ's response. Um, be an instrument of God's redeeming work. Again, you, it doesn't matter how you feel. You just need to be an instrument and, uh, and trust in the power of the Holy Spirit to do his work. Um, and uh, I'll share one last thing. I didn't write this down, but um, in Hebrews chapter one, so the, the same couple that I, that I was just mentioning, um, I remember her telling me how one of the, one of the ways in which um, she, uh, she became a Christian is because, if I'm remembering correctly, one of the Christians, an actual Christian that she was, she was speaking to, shared Hebrews chapter one. So here's this lady who's going, you know, knocking on doors trying to convert people with, with you know, the Watchtower publications. And she's never really read the entirety of Hebrews chapter 1. Uh, to them, it's just, you know, taking select verses, kind of twisting their, you know, their meaning into it, and then, um, you know, asking you kind of trick questions. That's essentially what they do. Um, but anyway, so this Christian read the entirety of Hebrews chapter 1. And uh, um, i trying to remember how it goes, but... Um, um, in these last days, he spoke to long ago, many times, in many ways, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us through his son, 
And uh, and Hebrews chapter 1 goes on to, to talk about how Christ is far more exalted, far greater than any angel, which flies in the face of Jesus being a created being who is Michael the archangel, for goodness sake. Um, so anyways, um, it's not you saving them. It's God's word and, uh, and the Holy Spirit. So um, I hope this class has been encouraging to you. Um, and um, again, thank you so much. And um, yeah, any questions? I'm going to have to do questions after we're officially over. But okay. I just wanted to say thank you for sharing your work. <laughs>